everybody. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. It's a Friday. Uh, I'm still recovering from mere moments ago. Justin Bourne, as he was departing for the weekend, just finished uh, Real Kipper and Bourne, ranked summer as his fourth favorite season. Just like... I mean, there was the one... He, he did say one thing that, you know, I could get on board with... Uh, with yeah, I mean, it's a horrible take in general. But he did have me here. Kids out of school sucks. Like, that's not good. Go back to school. That that part, like, yeah, around, like, mid-August, we're like, okay, that's it. And your, the school's coming again soon, right? Yes, yeah, right. And then, like, the X, when it starts, it, it is kind of like there's a solemn reflection about summer being over. But also, like, yeah, all right. We get our weekdays back again. But other than that, like, what an insane, insane take. Um, I digress, though. NHL free agency starts tomorrow at noon. Also happens to be when Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, their no-move clauses kick in. Also when William Nylander's 10-team no-trade clause activates. Is that important? We'll find out uh, because the, the clock is ticking right now. Apparently, Brad Living and Nylander's camp, not all that close. Let's uh, talk to a man who's uh, fresh off a trip to Nashville. It's Luke Fox, Sportsnet's Leafs reporter. How is Nashville, Luke? Oh, I wish I was fresh off a trip. I'm in Nashville. What? Why? I don't. I don't fly out till uh, 6 p.m. local. There's not a lot of flights. So, uh, unfortunately, I'm still in Nashville. Just finished some hot chicken. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, fly back tonight and, and be ready to go for free agency tomorrow. Okay, we don't have to put like airlines on blast here, but I, I like a lot of people had like travel horror stories getting in and and out of Nashville. What is? Do they have like no planes in Nashville? What's going on? No, there's just not that many directs, um, and I I'm direct only now because I've I've ended up in some cities I'm not supposed to end up in before. <laughs> I've been burnt in the past, so. Even if it's a bit later, I'll take the direct. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, all right, well, you get to do some some solo uh, Luke Fox time. Listen, I know, I, like when you when you're a beat reporter, you probably do get sick of of hotels and and you know that that life on the road time. I'm, I'm a guy with two young children. I could use like a couple of days in Nashville where oh, I can't get the flight out for another two days, honey. Like I know, sorry, I gotta sleep by myself in this king size uh, size bed for another day. So I don't know. I don't know where you are on on that scale, but I'd I'd be kind of like okay sticking around in Nashville for a couple extra days. Yeah, I don't mind it, but I have just completed six nights in Nashville because <laughs> I was here, I was here for the awards, and that is off the heels of a full series in Vegas Oof. and Fort Lauderdale. So uh, I think I'm about ready to come home. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> uh, not to get too into the weeds here, but that sounds like you're out of underwear. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hope this flight's not delayed. Put it that way. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, I mean, you you just got to to, to see Brad for living in the flesh, and you were part of some uh, some media scrums, and and yeah, you got your finger on the pulse here. I mean, I, I mentioned it. All the reports seem to indicate that. The, the Leafs and William Nylander, not all that close on, on a contract extension, which, I mean, he's under contract for, for south of $7 bucks for this, this upcoming season, and it's a modified no-trade clause, so only a 10-team list upcoming. So it's not the, like the, the most hard and fast deadline here, but 
How, what, what do you make of, of, of this being the only period of time the Maple Leafs could potentially move William Nylander before that modified no-move clause kicks in? Is there a pressure point here for them to get this extension done? Uh, no, I, I think he could still be traded at once the 10-team the list kicks in. Uh, you know, they're gonna, he's going to work with uh, the agent, Louis Gross, to try and find a, a landing spot that is willing to, to sign him to an extension if the Leafs don't, aren't able to sign him to an extension themselves. And, you know, you, it, it's in the best interest of everyone to work together to find that because the acquiring team doesn't just want to rent William Nylander for one year and have him walk out the door anyway. So it, it's in the Leafs' best interest to find him a spot that he, he would be willing to re-sign for whatever he's asking. Now, what we're hearing about what he's asking could be, you know, high nines, $10 million. And unless that gap gets bridged, uh, I, I wouldn't think tree living would hesitate to pull the trigger. Um, mm. He just, he, he's been through this before. Like he is still sore from walking Johnny Goudreau at the door. It, it, you know, he was asked about it here in Nashville and you could tell, like, he's like, I'm not going to tell you everything, but there was this underlying sense that uh, that rubbed him the wrong way. He still feels a little bit bitter about it. So I, I can't see him doing the same thing with Nylander. If they can't come to terms, and he says that's still his priority, is to re-sign him. But if they can't do it, I think we'll see a trade. Wow. Um, can you get better? Like, Maple Leafs are still, you know, very much in their contention window. Can you, can you get better for this upcoming season by trading away William Nylander and a, and a guy that's, that has, you know, a cap hit of about $7 bucks this season. Can you, can you get better for 2023-24 by trading away William Nylander? It's going to be hard. you got to be creative. Uh, maybe not for 23-24. I think it's more about long-term. And the thing is, this thing is holding everything up. You know, we've, we've been asking him about his other free agents who are, you know, free to talk to teams, sign elsewhere, as early as noon tomorrow, like, you know, he likes Luke Shen. He likes Ryan O'Reilly. But unless he has clarity on the team's cap pitcher moving forward, and I think he has a general idea of where, of where he can get Austin, but the Nylander gap's so big that you got, you got to not just plan for this coming season, but beyond. Um, and it, it really, the Nylander thing's holding everything else up. So we did see Timo Meyer sign for eight times what eight point eight. Um, he's yeah. he, he's coming off uh, a season where he also scored uh, forty goals, but only had sixty six points. So I mean, if we're, if we're just you know going by the numbers, Nylander had a, a better season. He had the eighty seven points also to go with the forty goals. Like how how does the eight point eight times eight factor into to his market rate? That was a lot well, of rhyming. He, wa- he wants more. I mean, you could use him as, as a comparable. But Nylander's camp would, would use higher comparables. Like, they might try to try and use Johnny Gaudreau as, like, the high-end dealing. Mm-hmm. And the trick, the trick there is New Jersey has done a fantastic job about building their own internal cap, uh, uh, cap ceiling. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they got Jack Hughes locked up, their MVP, at such a reasonable rate that other guys, you know, can't push it too much. Uh, you know, the Boston Bruins did that previously. Tampa Bay did it when Stephen Stamkos took a little less to, to remain there. Toronto's done the exact opposite. It's been blown out of the water. So Nylander is, yes, he could you look outside and say, hey, this is what Timo Meyer got. But he's looking around his own dressing room. Yeah. I, I know I'm going to take less than Austin Matthews, 
but I don't want to be five million below Austin Matthews. The gap's not that big. That that would be his argument. So it, it's tricky because they're comparables outside the team, but he's also looking around and using his his next hit that he doesn't want to feel like he's way below Marner and Matthews, which he is right now. Well, and and beyond that, we know this is a guy that's not afraid to push the envelope when it comes to pushing his yeah. team in negotiations. You know, going into December and, and almost minute, missing a, a, an entire season of National Hockey League play because he he wanted to maximize his return um, in a in a contract extension under Kyle Dubas. I mean, does that impact things? Also, the the fact that 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 deal ended up being a bargain. We're talking about an eighty seven point player and a forty goal score who's making less than seven million bucks. Like, do, does that factor in? And and does it give us, you know, an understanding of, of how difficult these negotiations could go because of the previous one? Yeah, well, and the other thing is there's no deadline on Nylander's part, right? The deadline for mm-hmm. him is, ne- is next July 1. And we've seen that he can, he can push deadlines. The other interesting wrinkle is he has the same agent as Goudreau had. Really? So Brad for <laughs> Living is, is going against Louis Gross. Uh, and it's like deja vu. Um, so it, it, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, Willie's such a confident guy that I don't think he feels pressure to get this done this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the pressure falls on tree living and, and saying like, are you going to do this? Because if not, we're going to move you. You say you want to be a leaf. And I believe he does want to be a leaf. Sure. But it, the GM has to exert some pressure here because he, it, the, the, where Nylander falls is going to shape his other decisions. Yeah, for sure it is. And, and yeah, the Johnny Goudreau decision and the fact that they, they share an agent is, yeah, it's ringing out in my head. But I, I also, I mean, when I asked you about whether the Maple Leafs can be better in 23-24 by trading William Nealand, and I, I think you correctly said probably not, like, is there not a, a school of thought that you just play it out and you, you work on an extension all season long and then at the end of the year you, you revisit it again, but... If he walks in free agency, at least you got the, the year of, of him under a reasonable cap hit during one of your years of contention and, and the idea of you getting some massive return that's like franchise changing now with just a year left on his deal probably was unrealistic anyways. Like, is it the worst thing in the world if they haven't play out his final year? It's not the worst thing. You're right. There is value on a year of William Nylander, a 40-goal scorer, dynamic player at 69 especially in a, in a relatively flat cap world. There is some value to that one year. I just think uh, the Gaudreau thing is, is going to play at Trey Living's mind. I, I, it would be embarrassing, I think, quite yeah. frankly, if, if this GM were to join, join a brand-new team, fresh start, and walk another uh, you know, superstar out the door for nothing. I, I, and, and the Leafs have, have done this repeatedly, you know, not, not with someone of, of Nylander's ilk, but they did it with Hyman. They've done it with a bunch of guys. Let them, you know, they, they said the, the one year left is, is more valuable than, than the trade. But I, I think it's a trend that, that needs to stop. And uh, now there are, he, he can get creative. Maybe he can trade Nylander. And, and he, I know he wants to address the blue line. Maybe there's a piece he can, he can get there. Maybe he can get picks and capital and then flip that into, into an actual player that can help them now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't like the idea of this lingering on because it, there's also going to be a bit of a sideshow yeah. the longer these two guys go on side. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great, great point. Um, I'm surprised at how not a sideshow the, the, the Matthews thing appears to be. Like, everybody, every report I've, I've seen, everybody's super confident that this is going to get done. It's just a matter of, 
of time and and how many years that the Bradtree living can push it to and you know the idea of 13-ish million over three or four years is is probably around what we're talking about like are you hearing the same things and are, are you surprised at how little drama how little oxygen honestly the the Austin Matthews extension talks is is, is seemingly drawing uh in in Leafs talk land yeah I think that's just because when you go digging um everyone in Matthews camp and everyone on the Leafs side of things want it to happen and there is a willingness, and I think they know they're, they're going to have to make them the highest cap hit in the league. Uh, it's a matter of, of term and just how high that goes. I think Austin realizes that he can't take the max percentage. Mm. I think he needs he, – he's a smart enough guy. He has the individual trophies. He's at the point now where he, he realizes he can, he can still win. He can still get a, a great number if that – like if it's a 13 or even – 14, like it's still a, a great number, yeah. but you're, you're leaving some money on the table to actually build a hockey team around you and give you a chance to, to compete for the Stanley Cup. I, I think he's, he's reached that point. Now, I don't like the idea of three years. I, I, think, I think the Leafs should try hard to get at least five, and I, I know they're not going to do eight. It doesn't seem to be a willingness on, on the player's part to, to go that long. He's already proven it by only taking five coming out as an RFA. But I, I, I wouldn't like three. I, I think you've got to get a little bit more term. And, and I think that which be on Matthews to say, back up his words, I want to be a Maple Leaf mm. with some action by actually committing a little bit more term. Yeah, I, I'd love to see it. I'm a little dubious, though. I, I, I really am. And, and I get it. Like, he, he knows that the cap is going to be on the rise. Say we don't get another pandemic, knock on wood knocking furiously on wood. Uh, but yeah, the, the cap is going to rise significantly after next season, but it's it's only rising by $1 million next season, um, and you're still trying to build a, a, a competitive hockey team, and I understand the extension wouldn't impact next season. But yeah, it's um, it, it, it from what I know about the play, like if we're going to play this game with William Nylander and, and judging or, 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 or guessing about what his next move is and, and the tone in negotiations... Um, based on previous negotiations he's had with the team and that he pushed Kyle Dubas um, to the last possible second to maximize his earning potential. This is a guy in Austin Matthews who went to Switzerland to, 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 to play for money, right? And that yeah. hasn't really conceded on anything and did only sign a five-year extension, right? But before the, the individual massive acc accolades, I mean, he scored four goals in his first game. We were a pretty good uh, idea that he, he was legit. But yeah, uh, Luke, it, it's just... I think he would view the three or four years and only 13 million bucks as some sort of give back where I think you're right. Like yeah, five years that let's, let's at least talk about five years. But I, I just, I think what we've learned about the player is that he would view that as, as a give back. Yes, I, I agree. Hey, this is like, he kind of broke the mold, right? Mm -hmm. uh, him only going five years actually changed the way other players look at, at free agency and restricted free agency. Matthew Kachuk is dead as much. He took cues uh, from, from Austin Matthews when he came up as an RFA, and mm -hmm. look what happened. He was eventually allowed to, to dictate his own landing spot. Matthews has all the leverage, right? Yep. 20, like less than 24 hours from now, he'll have full no move. Hmm. Um, he can push them as far as he wants. Uh, it's on him. It's on him to show that, that yeah, I, I want to be, not only do I want to be a Maple Leaf, but I want the Maple Leafs to be able to, to have enough money left over to, you know, keep building a, a contender. Mm. Uh, so it, it's going to be, the number is going to be fascinating um, just because he, he, 
it's all it's all on his his court. Now, what I would say is uh, the, the squad, if if he wanted to exercise uh, some some scare, was L.A. and now L.A. has already found their center in Dubois. So. Um, you know, I, I think that just kind of solidifies that he's going to stay in Toronto. Yep, and that was uh, seemingly always going to be the case. So the the first buyout window closing, and Matt Murray not going to be bought out. There is another buyout window possibility. I mean, Brad for Living, man, you you got to take everything that these GMs say at this point of the season uh, with a grain of salt, or maybe like the the whole salt shaker. But yeah, he talked about how Matt Murray's problem was not being healthy, and when he was available, he's a good goalie, and he was like kind of downplaying the Joe Wall thing and. How his, his strong finish doesn't mean he's going to have a strong start. But, I mean, Joe Wall is is not waivers exempt. He would have to go through waivers to play for the Marlies next year. Uh, I think he's pretty well established himself, for me at least, as, as at least a, a backup goalie um, and and a guy that's under incredible value term uh, and and right for, for the Maple Leafs going forward. And we, we tend to think, or I, I think, it'll be pretty uh, quickly figured out um, a new contract for Ilya Samsonov. So where does that leave us with Matt Murray? Would they buy him out? Or like, or how how much do you have to pay in the, in this cap world where it's only going up by a million bucks to get rid of his hit for uh, 23-24? Yeah, you know what? His buyout is, is actually pretty friendly. The first year, it's I think uh, like 250000 It's not yeah. much. The second, the second year is more, but the cap is going to take another jump probably by around $4 million. That, that season so it's not the worst buyout financially to, to exercise i look at this situation you know with with Trey living saying he's not going to buy him out in this window um as he's just using all the time he has possible mm. so as long as uh, at least one of the uh rfas on the lease uh files for arbitration and, and that's likely they have a handful of them um then a second buyout becomes available and if you look at Trey Living's track record, he's used that two or three times in Calgary, the second buyout window. Mm. And the reason why he would wait for the second buyout window, which happens after the ARB, ARB cases are done in like midsummer, is because he has between now and that time to see if he can't lump Matt Murray into a trade. That's my theory. I, you know, publicly he's saying we got three good goalies. I'm not buying it. So he, he has he has another month or month and a half or so to try and, and, and squeeze Matt Murray into a trade. Is it possible? Maybe. Um, you know, you're probably dealing with one of the, the teams that is close to the floor, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, Arizona Coyotes. Uh, Kyle Davidson seems really happy to, to take on other people's problems um, in, in exchange for a sweetener. So uh, it's possible he still gets traded, but I, I would circle that second buyout window as, as maybe – a more likely time where Matt Murray's tenure comes to an end in Toronto. No, that makes a ton of sense. And yeah, the history there um, makes it make all the more sense. Uh, although it would be hilarious to see Peter Morazic and Matt Murray on the, on the <laughs> Blackhawks team. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, all right, before I let you go. So yeah, um, John Tavares is still a contributing player. We understand this, but like at the $11 million cap hit, that could probably, that the money could be better spent, spent elsewhere, uh, especially for a guy who's, uh, I think, days of, of playing up the middle are probably behind him we know he has a full no move like understood and also i don't want to go back and relitigate the signing because it was anyone doing that is, is is a moron frankly because yeah it was an incredible coup to to bring the hometown kid home uh and he wearing the sea and he has been a productive toronto maple leaf over his tenure here that being said do you think brad tree living has or will or should 
approach him about waiving his no trade clause? Uh, I I don't know the, the, if it's happened. Uh, I think he should. I think he should talk. You know, I think everything should be on the table. I think there's he's not the one that signed that contract, right? So he's coming in with fresh eyes. I think it could just be a conversation just to get a feel from Tavares. Now, when we spoke to Tavares after the season ended, he was pretty adamant that he had no interest in that, no interest in, in you know, giving away the C. He's proud to be a Maple Leaf, proud to be captain. And look, okay, so say you get rid of Tavares. Who's your second-line center? Like, he's still a very good player. I know he's not perfect. I know he's not worth $11 million on your cap right now. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to replace him? You're talking about um, how to get rid of Willie and be as good of a team in, in 23-24. What about Tavares? Yeah. Like, there, there, there's not a lot of centers out there. So I, I, I just don't see how you're, you're becoming a better team by getting rid of him. I, there's only two more years on it. My guess is it, they play it out. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think that's probably likely uh, because I think if even if he was approached uh, by Bradtree Living and they had that conversation, I think it would be a pretty short one. Uh, Luke, your your sojourn is not short. Uh, do, do, <laughs> does your family remember what you look like? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> like they haven't moved on, right? Like the, you're, you're going to be welcomed back with, with open arms, right? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll give you, we'll talk about it next time I'm on. All right, man. Uh, great work in Nashville. Hopefully uh, no, no travel worries and, and you return home safely. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Have a good one, Ben. Thanks. You too. There's Luke Fox, Sportsnet's Leafs reporter in Nashville. Still. Like the draft was a couple days ago, right? <laughs> That's for a guy that covered the entirety of the Stanley Cup finals. And I get it. Like, that's cool. If you're listening to my voice and you don't work in the industry, like, yeah, that sounds like a dream, really. You get to travel all over North America watching hockey players. That's cool. It's a long time. <laughs> it's like, that is, uh, that is a man that wants to get into his own bed and uh, deserves to, to get into his own bed. All right. Before we take a break, so I mentioned the John Tavares thing, and he's right. Like, man some reason, this guy gets a lot of slings and arrows because of the contract, because of, I, I think, frankly, the lack of postseason success since he signed the seven-year, $77 million deal with the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs in free agency, departing the New York Islanders. But the guy is still a productive player, at least points-wise. As he becoming more and more one-dimensional at, and like I said, or his days of of being responsible enough to be a 200-foot player playing up the middle, are they probably behind him? Yeah, probably. You're not doing your job, though, if you're not at least having that conversation with him. It would be... And I'd... You'd be giving up your responsibility if you didn't at least have John Tavares in a room and discuss the possibility of him waiving his no-move tr- uh, clause and the idea that you could get some sort of uh, equitable return in trade for John Tavares. Again, I think the conversation would be very short because he'd say, I negotiated this contract in good faith. I have a young family. I'm from here. I'm wearing the sea. I'm living out my dream. The results haven't been there, but it, it, outside of the results, everything else has been what I dreamed of when... Kyle Dubas played that video of Mitch Marner 
skating around and, and faking passes to me. And I sat down with the Sharks and the Kings and all these teams that were courting me at the end of that season. Outside of us not winning a Stanley Cup, it's been everything I dreamed of. And sorry, you can try and make it uncomfortable. I don't think you will. And honestly, I don't think they will. I don't think there's anything like stripping the sea from John Tavares upcoming or like we talked with Nick Kiprios yesterday about like banging him down to the fourth line or making him a healthy scratch or anything. But that being said, it's, it's, it's pro sports. And I don't think you alienate somebody. I don't think you sour the relationship. I don't think you ruin something by just having a frank, open conversation. I expect Brad Tree Living, if he hasn't, he will, or at least just open the possibility of John Tavares waving it. And I imagine he's going to say, uh, thanks, uh, but no thanks. Goodbye. All right, Blue Jays said goodbye to the San Francisco Giants. Taking two out of three. Hey, they're on a roll. Three straight series victories. Still in a playoff spot in the American League. Chris Bassett, career high in strikeouts yesterday. They only had three hits yesterday, but they won baseball game. Uh, tonight, they welcome in an American League East opponent, which is generally not very good. They are 7-17 seven and 17 against teams within their own division. 0-4 oh against the Boston Red Sox, who they start a three-game series with tonight. We'll talk to Joe Siddle of Blue Jay Central next as the Fan Drive Time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Horfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Are we done with the smoke? Like, is it over? Is Smokey out again today? Like, sort of. Are we running out of trees to burn? Man. Are we all going to have horrible lung problems in 10 to 15 years? Probably. I digress, though. Uh, Blue Jays taking two of three from the San Francisco Giants. They've won the first two series on this homestand, taking four of the six games. But beyond that, I mean, the bigger development clearly was Vlad hitting his first home run at home, but Vlad just breaking out. So Blue Jays were 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position yesterday. They only had three hits. No worries, though, because Vlad's got you with a two-run shot uh, on the homestand. He's 8 for 22 with three homers. And legend has it that he's still standing at home plate admiring that two-run shot that he hit yesterday. Let's talk to uh, our man down at Rogers Center, Joe Siddle of Blue Jays Central. What's going on with Vladdy right now? He's, he's finally found himself, Joe. We certainly hope so, right? That's, uh, that's what I've been kind of barking about a little bit lately is that he is the one guy that, I mean, there are several, but when I look at the Blue Jays lineup and the struggles that they've had this season, I look at Vladdy and say if he was the version of Vladdy that I think we were all expecting, whether you want to call it the 2021 Vladdy or something up there like a 9-950 OPS Vladdy, this lineup would be different, and I think they'd have more wins. And last night is a perfect example. You don't have to have those runners in scoring position conversations like Jamie and I have on this desk <laughs> so many nights when you hit it out of the ballpark. So home runs are cool, and uh, Vladdy has run into a few lately, and that is very, very good news for this offense. No, it's massive. Yeah, he's in scoring position, or can be, <laughs> when he's standing in the, in the batter's box, right? Like, that's the, that's the old saying. 
but it, it's so true. Like, you only have three hits. You're allowed to win a game, though, in, in which the offense doesn't, doesn't show up except for one guy. And, man, Joe, like, even go back to that stretch of 11 games against the American League East where they went 2-9. and nine. How many of those games were, like, one swing away? And if, if that was, like, normal Vladdy through that period of time, how differently would we be talking about this, this Blue Jays team? Maybe not at the top because the Rays got off to such an incredible, incredible start. But it, it's, it's hard to put so much on one guy's shoulders. But, man, if I was going to point to one reason why the Blue Jays, and I'll put this in quotation marks, are off to a disappointing start, it really does yeah. have to, it, it's, it starts and ends with him. Yeah, I don't know how many wins you want to attribute that to, but my goodness, there there are some wins there. There are some wins there the Blue Jays have not had. And, and you know, let's even just go beyond Vladdy. The last thing I want to do is pin everything on Vladdy because if you go up and down the lineup, there have been, you know, Chappie had that fantastic April Player of the Month, and ever since it's been not just, like, not Chappie. It's like, wow, where did he go, right? So mm -hmm. maybe he's coming around a little bit now, and hopefully that is the case. But up and down the lineup there, look, the catching position, for example, between Kirk and Jano, this was a, one of the best tandems in baseball last year offensively and defensively too, for that matter, but offensively and hasn't been there. Now Kirk's back off the IL and he's back, back at it. And you hope that he can have a second half. And that's mm. the, that's the term we used a lot last night. The key word is half. If the first half is over and there's another half to play. And you and I both know that some players can rebound and have a great second half after a marginal first half. But they're, they're kind of need, going to need that up and down this lineup to pick it up. Because if the lineup hits, as I think we were expecting it to this season over the course of six months, I think they'll be fine. And you're right, Tampa Bay went and did their thing, much like the Yankees did last year. So you almost disregard that. But you just have to tend to your own garden. And your garden is your hitters. And I think right now that, that's the focus. And, um, I mean, we can go around the field. You know, Dalton Varsho hasn't quite been, I don't think, what everybody thought yet. He's had his struggles. Brandon Belt, we continue to see his old team did it for a few days there. They just pound those fastballs up in the zone. So I think there are hitters in this lineup that can be pitched to. The good teams and good pitchers do that and execute for the most part. And they're going to have to be up to that challenge to be able to hit those guys some way, shape, or form the second half of the season. You know, it's interesting to think back to a season ago and, and so much turmoil around this point in the season. They were 44-38 and 38 a season ago. They're one game better this year at 45-37. and 37, But they just kept losing. And this was around the time that they had that, that sweep of four games in Seattle that cost Charlie Montoya his job. Uh, and then they, they went on an incredible tear in the second half of the season. Ended up winning 92 games, and then, yeah, we, we know what happened in the postseason. But that was a team that, that patched it together with Yusei Kikuchi and Jose Barrios being total wild cards from one day to another. Um, and they, like, Ross Stripling emerged out of nowhere, right? Like, that was kind of a surprising way that they were able to patch it together. Is there a clearer um, path forward for this 2023 Blue Jays team to have a better second half than, than the one that, that ended up winning 92 games a season ago? Well, the clear path, for me, I just talked about the lineup a lot, of course, but starting pitching gives you a chance. And uh, Mr. Bassett did a pretty good job of that last night, giving this team a chance that wasn't hitting much, but they had one big swing of the bat. And if Bassett can, he looked like a different guy last night, right? He had been in a bit of a funk. And if he can be back to the Chris Bassett that we were seeing a lot earlier in the season, that would be a great help. Uh, Gosman is Gosman. And I think what Barrios and Kikuchi have done, you know, you just keep your fingers crossed like this is for real and that they can keep doing this. And once again, good first halves, but they've got to keep doing it 
to give this lineup a chance to do their thing. So hopefully Jose can do it. Hopefully Kikuchi and both of them. I mean, coming out of spring training, let, I'll be the first to raise my hand saying I was walking on eggshells, seeing how these two were going to perform, right? Mm-hmm. I felt more strong, I think, about Barrios. I, I believed in his track record. I believed about who he is. We saw good things last year at times. It's just when it was bad, it was really bad. So I had that feeling that, his track record was going to pay off, and um, not to this extent, mind you. He's been very, very good. But mm-hmm. Kikuchi, wow, I have to applaud him because I said I got to give it to the end of April, early of May, early May to to believe, you know, it, who he is. And uh, wow, has he ever stepped up? So yeah. again, half a season left. Hopefully, he can keep doing it. But he's just if he can just do his thing, you know. And I know he wants to go deeper in games, but. If he can give you a couple times through the lineup, whether it's five innings that, and just hand it over to the pen, that's not bad at all. But he's been he's been even better than that. No, I know, and and, and I I usually take spring training numbers with uh, lots of salt. Um, but man, yeah, he really. I mean, he started it in spring training when he had to battle for a job. Uh, although, yeah, Mitch White's injury made that not the case, and he has carried it over into the regular season. You mentioned the, the struggles that Chris Bassett was having before yesterday's start. I mean, he's been hot and cold because. The Blue Jays tweeting this out, which is a remarkable stat. Teammates with six games each of six innings pitched and zero earned runs uh, before July in MLB history. The Blue Jays are the first to have two teammates that have done that since 1914. That's Kevin Gossman and Chris Bassett, who have both put uh, put forth some some pretty incredible starts here as uh, as we uh, are now past the the midway point of the season. But yeah, Bassett was going through a bit of a, a, a struggle period took uh, his own pitch-calling duties away from himself. Also, Alejandro Kirk returned. And, boy, I don't know if this is just a coincidence or if there's something happening there, Joe, and, and you'd be the guy to tell me. But the, the numbers with Kirk behind the plate and anybody else are night and day. So so what do you attribute Bassett's uh, return to success yesterday? Well, honestly, I, I attribute his return to success by because he pitched better. He executed better. He looked different. I don't know. I haven't talked to him in terms of what adjustments he made in his delivery between starts. Uh, I know that he talked about a lot of extensive conversations with Pete Walker and mechanical things. We could probably talk to a blue in the face and the minutia behind it all, but he did something where the ball was coming out of his hand better. But more importantly, I thought what he did, and yes, we talked about pitch calm, and yes, we've talked about Alejandro being behind the plate and how good his ERA is. But I think the bottom line is he, his biggest weakness or, or issue this year has been left-handed hitters they've been just crushing him and I thought he went about it a little differently last night I thought he kind of scrapped the cutter for the most part didn't throw the cutter as much he was more of that you know he loves his sinker at the top of the zone and he would kind of use it at the top of the zone but then run the cutter up and in on lefties and this year he hasn't quite gotten it in there I don't think as effectively and the velo has been down a little bit so those things matter because now a left-handed hitter can get to that cutter and they play off each other what he did last night is he used a few more four-seamers up top. He had some pretty good velo, too, even when he used the sinker up there. But then he'd use the off-speed pitches down, the splitter, the changeup, and that slow curveball down in the zone. And I just thought it was a completely different look than what we've been seeing from him. And maybe he just said, look, that cutter-sinker thing's not working up there. Because as a left-handed hitter, if you can just eliminate the bottom of the zone and think up you know, middle and up in the zone – the sinker's going to play back and forth or the four-seamer, and the cutter's coming in, so you can just look up against him. So maybe that was catching up to him. Maybe it was because the velocity's been down a tick. Whatever the case, lefties had been hammering him, and I just thought he was a lot better last night, and I thought it was very interesting how he changed course 
in his attack against the left-handed hitters, and it worked. Yeah, and and you can feel good, I think, about all five rotation spots, and that includes the 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 bullpen day that the Blue Jays have trotted out there with uh, Bowden Francis uh, and Trevor Richards, who's turned into like Mister Strikeout, uh, had a north of fifty percent whiff rate in, in his last appearance. Joe, uh, I know they haven't won all the, the the bullpen games, but those guys have generally combined to go at least five innings in all three of of their their bullpen day starts. If if the Blue Jays say acquire a, a starter, or you know, fingers crossed, Alec Manoa figures it out and we see him again, would you be inclined to to keep that that bullpen day built in there, especially considering you know we all know the the incredible numbers that Kevin Gossman has put up when he gets that extra day of rest. Like, how do you feel about that that bullpen day and, and the success that, that Francis uh, and Richards have had? Well, you have to love it because it's been very good, especially the last time out. I, I stopped calling Trevor Richards an opener because when you're going three innings, that to me is a pretty good. He could he was he wasn't even sweating, was he? The other no. day he was he was in cruise control. And then what was even more impressive though, and I, I say more impressive maybe to me was Bowden Francis. Like, wow, that was very good against uh, you know we give the San Francisco Giants lineup. It's pretty good offense. I mean, they do strike out a lot, but this is a team that can swing the bats a little bit. So with what he did, uh, I would put this in the department of uh, nice problem to have, but man, I'd still prefer to have a starting pitcher in that fifth spot. Mm. And then how about Trevor Richards out of the bullpen on, uh, on the regular, right? Like, come on, that's what you want to have. And I think this team is going to be better if you have a Trevor Richards for an inning or maybe multiple innings in those middle innings uh, of the games where let's say you, Kikuchi goes four and two thirds or five and a third, you know, to bridge that gap to the big boys. So I think going out and whether it's getting a starter, I mean, it's hard to, to think right now for me, I haven't seen or heard too much about Ryu. We hear, but I don't, you know, we don't see a whole lot mm-hmm. to count on him coming back from injury and being thrown into the rotation and being successful. That might be a lot to ask, but man, if they could solidify that last spot and maybe it's Alec Manoa, we don't know the story, what, when he'll be back, but with somebody, because that would then put Richards back in a place. I mean, he's doing great what he's doing, but, man, I'd love to have that arm in the bullpen. And then if Francis is doing what he's doing, like I joked the other night, that was before the game. I mm-hmm. said, that's probably tryout camp for Bowden Francis. Yeah. Because if he does well, which he did, four innings and one run, pretty good, maybe he just gets the start and they let him go. Maybe he can give you five and you leave Richards in the bullpen. So nice problems to have uh, when guys are pitching well. But Richards has just been, wow, what he came from last year. And, I mean, spring training, I not that he was fighting for a job, but he might have been fighting for a job. <laughs> no, for sure. Joe, and that's what I wanted to get to next, is that, like, the, the life of a reliever, it's it's it, it can vacillate one year to the next. And, and a guy that I think most Blue Jays fans would have told you, hey, is if he's in the game, like, yeah, we're it's probably not great. Like, <laughs> it's probably, yeah. let's save the rest of the arms to, to, to being a guy that – You'd have no problem seeing in leverage at the at the end of games. He's got a career high K per nine rate. He's thirty years old though, too. Joe, can can this just happen? And I, he's always had the 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 split or the the change up right that that has been so effective and and getting swing and miss and I guess just like refining the repertoire and and making himself more of a two pitch pitcher has been um, what has resulted in all the success. But I mean. That that's quite a thing to go from a guy who, like you said, was was maybe battling for a a roster spot to to, to turning himself into like a legit weapon and and a guy you think totally different differently about not just this season but going forward throughout his career. 
Well, you, you asked the question, can this actually happen? And my answer would be, yes, it can actually happen. I don't care what age you are. It's because of how he did it. And you just said it became a two-pitch pitcher. He got rid of the breaking ball that wasn't very good, wasn't very effective, and he's got a fantastic pitch in that changeup and kind of looked like he went to the old uh, use it more, throw yeah. lots. <laughs> it's a really good pitch and throw it lots. But I think sometimes that might, I don't want to say overstated because, of course, he's using it a lot more and it's very effective, but it's the way it plays with the fastball. And anytime I caught guys that had those two pitches – you can't just have like an average fastball and a great changeup and throw the changeup all the time and think it's going to be great. It's because his fastball, and I don't know what the characteristics are of it. He's got some high spin on it, I know, but it's, it's, a, it's a pitch that has enough. It might not look like it's 97, 98 because it's 93, 94, but I think that's a, it's, a, it's one of those high spin where it's probably perceived by the hitter to be 95, 96, and then that plays with the changeup so well and especially the way he locates it. So, yeah, they're just, they just pair with one another great. When you've got the four-seamer up in the zone and then an off-speed pitch like his changeup down in the zone, it's tough on hitters. So, yes, it's a great pitch to change up, but I think it's an even greater pitch because of the way it pairs with that fastball. Yeah, kudos to him for, for figuring it out. Um, right, yeah. that's the Kudos to him is right that for a guy, to, whether he took the advice of his analytics department or Pete Walker and his entire staff, somebody got into his ear and said, hey, you need to do things differently. Now, even saying that, do you think this, this was going to be the result? I would have never guessed it. <laughs> well, it, and, and it, it does make you think when you got another guy who figured it out doing the same thing, cutting down on his repertoire and Kevin Gossman, like, was there not a, a conversation between those two guys? You know, the splitter is such a different pitch. I mm. think just, I don't want to say that you can command the changeup a lot more because Kevin seems to command the, the splitter pretty good too. You could keep it in the zone when he wants. He buries it when he wants. Very similar pitches, though, and I kind of had this conversation with Swanson as well. I joked with Eric way back in, early in the season. I said, what's it like coming in? I think it was in New York one day against the Yankees. Coming in after Gosman, you're essentially the same guy, right? Mm-hmm. You, not, not the same fastball, but the same idea, fastball up, splitter down. But they're different. They probably appear differently. But he, he said, well, Kevin just went seven shutout innings, and he got them out. So obviously it's working. I have no problem coming in after that. You know, uh, I, I I know like I'm I'm getting greedy because yeah again Trevor Richards was was he's found money right uh, guy at the at the the bottom of the depth chart when it comes to relievers turning into a high leverage guy a guy that you, you're happy to see uh, be an opener or a starter in in games despite the fact that he's you know maxing out at about 50 pitches this guy has been a starter though like he's been stretched out early in his career as most relievers are Joe right like everybody starts yeah. off as a starter every reliever is a failed starter we get that even Mariano Rivera like is there a th- any thought to, to, to like, and, and maybe that's not a this season thing, but like, man, if you could do that same thing for 80, 90, 100 pitches, now you really got something. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it's going to be a lot more difficult to do that for 80 or 90 or 100 pitches too, right? When you start seeing the lineups the third time and hitters. But, I, I mean, it, it, they don't seem to be pitches that hitters would get more comfortable with each time through. <laughs> kind of like a Gosman almost, you know? But yeah. I, I still think the – yes, I answered the question. Yeah, actually, he could be a starter right now, I think. And I'm sure John Schneider would be glad to use him as a starter. But if Francis is pitching well or like he did last time out, that having Richards in the bullpen is wow. That's to me, that's a huge, huge plus. And I mean, you have to sort out this starting situation. I mean, the, the rotation, I, I talked about the lineup a lot, but the rotation really is what's going to give you a chance and carry you there because when the rotation's good, it keeps the bullpen set, 
and I don't want to use the word rested because these guys are used a lot, but once September and October rolls around, you don't want a bullpen when these guys are setting career records and appearances. And to do that, you need good starters. So, I mean, we'll see what the story is with Alec. We'll see what the story is by the deadline, but you've got two guys that you could slide in right now. Absolutely. I just don't see, I don't envision this continuing this little piggyback thing because you're kind of burning two guys as Mm -hmm. one starter and then you're limiting what they're available between those starts. And yeah, that's kind of hodgepodge, and I don't want to be thinking about doing that for three more months. No. The ideal scenario is to get the, the top five American League Cy Young Award candidate from a season to go back in the rotation. But I, I got to say, and yeah, I, I think there were a lot of people that felt this way looking at the box score from the Florida Complex League that that, that was mind-bending. And really, I mean, it, I, I can just tell you from my perspective, I, I, I went from thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to see Alec Manoa this season, if not like Canada Day, to like, oh, man, there, the possibility exists that we don't see him at all this season. I know Ross Atkins has said the opposite of that. Um, I, I, you, you know what the Florida Complex League is like. I mean, not I guess it was called something different, right? Like the, the minor leagues have been overhauled over the years and the Florida yeah. Gulf Coast League rookie ball, right? I, I understand it's not about the results. And I know you've also talked about this Manoa situation before, but I've never talked to you about it. I mean, what, what did seeing that box score do to your perception of, of Alec Manoa and his potential return this season? Well, first reaction was, wow, that's, that's not what you want to see. There's no question. You don't want to see those numbers with anybody. And especially with a guy going down there, that's trying to straighten things out. But right away, I just put myself back in player's shoes when I used to have to go be down there. And I remember rehabbing my knee. I was in AAA with the Marlins, and I went down there, and I was down there for about four days. It was the Gulf Coast League. And when you're down there, you are – I, I was like dh a little bit first, then I caught, and I got back to my AAA team before, before I had to finish my rehab. But when you're down there, you get all these young kids, and I know you've heard these stories, all these young kids, but I've caught – rehabbing pitchers that have come back up to triple a or the big leagues and guys have come back up and they're they're just they, when they go down there and pitch they're just like that's brutal down there it's impossible <laughs> to pitch down there you know why it's because the kids are hacking yeah. <laughs> no, no that was in my day maybe today they have better swing decisions and all that stuff but they would just be hacking so as a veteran pitcher you can't set up a hitter you can't start that breaking ball away to come back sneaker like you can't think and sequence pitches one and two pitches ahead of time because they're just going up hacking. Like, it's just a first pitch, bam! Like, they're just just ripping. So you can't really execute a game plan. So especially being from afar, I thought, I can see how that can happen. But still, Alec Manoa's stuff should not get hit like that from kids. But I think, too, not being down there, not seeing the environment, not seeing all of that, I was just thinking, who knows? Like, maybe he was throwing a bunch of sinkers. Maybe he was fastballs. You know, just... So there's a lot to that. I, I honestly, the answer, final answer to your question, I don't put that a lot of stock into it. I'll put more stock into it after his second and third maybe outings and see where he's graduating to and what he's feeling like. I would chalk that up as, as really nothing to see here. Uh, fingers crossed that that, that is uh, the situation. We see him back in the big leagues uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, Joe, enjoy the game tonight. Thanks so much for doing this. All right, Ben. Have a good one, man. Yeah, you too. There's Joe Siddle. Uh, Blue Jay Central analyst, uh, Blue Jays getting set to host the Boston Red Sox for three over the Canada Day long weekend. Blue Jays seven and seventeen against the American League East. They're zero and four against Boston. This is a sneaky big series. I know they've had a dominant stretch against teams outside of the American League East, but man, you got to win a series against the only team within your division that's below you in the standings that has lost five straight. 
Boston Red Sox were like kind of a surprise, sneaky, good story in the American League that they were able to hold their head above water. And Yoshida, what an incredible rookie campaign he had after, you know, a lot of people were dubious of the amount of dollars that he got, but he's been everything they could have expected and more. But this is supposed to be the team that everybody in the division beats up on. I mean, the Orioles weren't supposed to be this good, but it wasn't the Orioles. It was the Red Sox. You're on four against them. And if you will recall, those four games were kind of weird. They were in horrible weather, and it was at Fenway Park, and it was errors aplenty, and it was Alec Manoa back at his worst Alec Manoa-ness. But yeah, you, you really do have to win this series. You got to start making up some ground against your divisional opponents, uh, against the Canadian. James Paxton, the lefty, against uh, Jose Barrios, as uh, Yusei Kikuchi is going to get the start on Canada Day, and uh, we have a lineup. And despite the fact that this season Paxton has uh, reverse splits, Blue Jays still uh, DHing Alejandro Kirk and a day off for Brandon Belt. Kirk is the DH today, Danny Jansen doing the catching of Jose Barrios, Matt Chapman in their uh, hitting cleanup as Vlad gets bumped up a spot, hitting third behind a guy that's not an all-star starter in the American League, Bo Bichette, Corey Seager, who has nice numbers for a team that has a better record, but Bo Bichette is is clearly better. But w- what are you going to do? It's a fan vote. Um, and despite the fact that Bo Bichette was leading the first round of voting, I guess the second round of voting is uh, more important. Dalton Varsho playing center field is still... We're waiting to see the return of Kevin Kiermeyer dealing with back spasms and Santiago Espinal playing second uh, base with Whit Merrifield in left field. When we come back, count down the hours until NHL free agency. Will William Nylander find himself with a, a new contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Will Austin Matthews find himself with a contract extension with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Will Eric Carlson be traded? We'll talk to Renaud Lavoie of TVA Sports next. As the fan drive time continues, I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. It's Friday before a long weekend. For you, maybe. We'll be back on Monday as a NHL and NBA free agency. NBA free agency, by the way, opens up at 6 o'clock tonight. It's the legal tampering period. Uh, we will talk to uh, Rick Kamla of uh, SiriusXM NBA Radio at the bottom of the hour about NBA free agency. But we'll be back on Monday to, to break down all the uh, transpirings uh, in the NHL and the NBA, as far as free agency is concerned, for the NHL, it's tomorrow at noon. Um, we we talked to Luke Fox, who's still in Nashville, Tennessee. 
said, you know, a lot of people struggling to to depart that place. Uh, Renault Lavoie of TVA Sports joins us now. Are you in Nashville? Are you home? Like, where are you? No, I'm stuck in now in um, in Washington, so <laughs> Dallas Airport. So it's uh, you know what? It was a struggle to go to Nashville because of Air Canada canceling a flight on Sunday. So I had to fly from Burlington to Washington, drive from Washington at 2 a.m. to Nashville. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And now it's the same problem here. Stuck now in D.C. again. And hopefully uh, we'll go back home tonight. If not, well, you know what? Maybe July 1st I'll be off. uh, uh, That will be shocking, but I don't expect uh, that will happen. But uh, it's, it's a grind. Believe yeah. me, it's a grind. Yeah. Listen, I, I yeah, I don't mean to laugh, but like that's ridiculous. Cause you someone, know what? I, yeah, go I, ahead. It's it's laughable. It's a believe me, there's not a lot of people laughing, but when you look at it, I mean, it's a real joke. That's what it is. Yeah, it is. Hey, and and maybe you'll stick around for July fourth. Washington would be a good place to, to see the fireworks on July fourth, yeah. I'm thinking. Hey, you know what? I'll take it. If I have to stay, why not staying for the fireworks? I'll take it. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk some hockey. Um, so the, the the free agent market, there's, there's not a lot of big names up there. I get no. it. There, there's a, the Ryan O'Reilly, who's a, a Conn Smythe winner. Um, but, yeah, obviously on the backside of his career, and like Michael Bunting is is in the, the top ten forwards. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not a robust market. So do you expect big things in the trade market, Ren, as we, we're starting to see things uh, open up a little bit after no first-rounders were traded um, for the first time since 2007? Yeah, it's kind of a, a, an interesting situation here uh, because there are so many players that can be traded uh, in the next few days. And that's obviously because of uh, the cap that's not, uh, not actually moving. Like uh, I think Julian Griezmann said, uh, the cap went up, uh, went up four million in the last six years. I mean, what a league! Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's so complicated for uh, GMs for ownership to uh, make sure that they they'll get the players that they want uh, to to finally be a, a winning team. And obviously in Toronto, what I'm looking at really is Eric Carlson out. I, I really do believe the Maple Leafs needs a player like Eric Carlson, but you need to make that trade happen, and this is going to be complicated. Hopefully it can happen before now in July 1st, before a couple of uh, no-trade uh, kicks in. Mm. Uh, so today I, I, I believe that the real shock was more about Matt Duchesne uh, being let go by the uh, the Predators, you know what? There's only I think 35 players who have more goals in the last two seasons than him. Yeah. Uh, probably 53 players more points in the last two seasons than him. Now you can add him, add him on the cheap if you're a contender. This is this is one of the biggest deals that you'll you'll ever get uh, on this market. No doubt about that. Yeah, he and Blake Wheeler were uh, were waived for the purposes of being bought out yeah. today. And the Blake Wheeler thing was a long time coming, I think, when he was stripped of the sea yeah. there in, in Winnipeg. But, do the, yeah, do those two guys go to the top of the pile as far as free agency is concerned? You have, you have to put them on top of the pile. And I think you have to put Matt Duchesne up front. I mean, like, it's not a question of, oh, I like that player or I, don't, I dislike that player. Listen. 
Um, how many teams over the last few years um, were getting players that were just totally rejected mm-hmm. by other teams? Um, and the the final solution to to make uh, you know players like that being so important in the playoffs and in the Stanley Cup final, um, we've seen that movie before. And now you can get Matt Duchesne for probably one million for next season. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, it, it, I, I believe Pat Brisson, his agent, is going to do a, a great job to find the right spot for him. Uh, but at the same time, it's possible that there's a little bidding war between two or three teams to uh, to uh, make Matt Duchesne, uh, you know, one of uh, uh, the key uh, player on your team. And I'm going to repeat myself on the cheat. So uh, he's not a perfect player, uh, but you know what? How many perfect players won the Stanley Cup this year with uh, with uh, Vegas? Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, a handful. So, uh, at the end of the day, um, even if there's a lot of question marks about his leadership, about the teammate that he's supposed to be, and, and he's not, I don't care. Uh, I'm, uh, if, if you have a really strong room, uh, there's a good chance that he's going to fit in quickly. And I was shocked by that news today, to be honest with you. And remember that Matt Duchesne had a no-trade move kick, uh, that was supposed to kick in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to happen. But to go back to your first question, uh, uh, yes, the, the, you know you, you have to see teams um, trading some assets uh, for cap uh, reasons. Uh, probably some teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs needs to add up, but they need to find a, a, a good solution to to their issues. But to see a guy like Eric Carlson playing at Toronto mm. would be uh, just amazing, amazing <laughs> for a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Yeah, now, now you, you got me thinking about, yeah, how you, you throw a 100-point uh, right-hand shot defenseman onto this blue line. Uh, that, that would work quite well. Um, there would off- obviously have to be some sort of, of salary yeah. retention there from the Sharks and, and Mike Greer talking about how, hey, 50% is not going to happen. Um, which is a little confusing to me, Renault, yeah. and, and tell me if, if you think that's just posturing, but if you're a team, like ownership is going to be paying that, that contract no matter what, right? Whether he's there or not, and, and I don't think they're going to be in their window of contention over the next four years anyways. Why wouldn't they just eat the, the full 50% and then have a real bidding war where you're getting something really tangible in, in return for Eric Carlson? I, I get it. it it's, it's a lot of money. And it would be, I guess, embarrassing after signing that guy not that long ago to be paying 50% of him, uh, 50% of it for him not yeah. to be playing for your team. But you're going to be paying that either way. And it would be, it would really jumpstart the, their rebuild, would it not? Uh, I'm with you, Ben. You just nailed it here. But there's always uh, ways to, to make a trade happen. Like, you, okay, you don't want to pay 50% of uh, Eric Carlson's salary for the rest of the, uh, the length of his contract. All right, no problem. I'm going to give you a first-round pick. What about it? Mm. See, see now, now you, you have to think a little more here. So, um, I mean, getting uh, to 50%, I mean, it, I'm not saying it's easy, but you, you really can find ways. You can put a good uh, offer to the San Jose Sharks, including a, a 50%, um, you know, uh, salary, uh, being retained by the Sharks, 
And, and probably the Sharks are going to say yes because they're throwing a little more than the others are doing. For the Sharks, I think they, they, they're on a full rebuild. Mm-hmm. Mike Greer, um, he's got the, you know, the green card to do whatever he wants. It's a little, it feels like, feels like a little bit like the, uh, the, the, the Chicago Blackhawks um, and what happened last year to this year, getting uh, Connor Bedard. I think for Mike Greer, that's, um, you know, uh, he, he can go to his ownership and compare what happened to Chicago and say, you know what, we can do exactly the same, obviously. Uh, there's no Connor Bedard coming in uh, in the next few years. But that being said, you can get a lot of good picks. I believe the the draft will be a little more deeper in the next two seasons. So for the Sharks, that, that's a, a big advantage. Um, and, and at the same time, you could get contracts of uh, players that are just not playing anymore. So if you don't want to overspend, uh, you can uh, – uh, ask you know the insurance company to uh, pay eighty percent of that salary of that of the player that you're going to get in return. So there's there's ways uh, to make things happen right now in the NHL. The cap's going to go a little higher over the next few years, so that's going to help too. But you know you look at what the Chicago Blackhawks did over the last three months or two months. It's amazing. They turned that ship around so quickly. Um, and now you see that there's a lot of players who, uh, who are, you know, who wants to play for the Chicago Blackhawks uh, because this is going to be the team of the future starting right now. Yeah, no, and, and a bunch of veteran free agents signing there: Nick Foligno, Corey Perry, uh, yeah. signing up with the the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, so let's let's get back to this Leafs Eric Carlson thing, <laughs> Reno, because that is really interesting. And I imagine that the Leafs would want some sort of financial clarity when it comes to to William Nylander. Yeah. And apparently the, the things aren't going so well as far as the numbers both sides are, are presenting to each other. And he doesn't have a full no-trade clause, but he has a modified one that, that eliminates 10 teams, yeah. I guess, starting at midnight tonight. I mean, is there is there a likelihood that we see a William Nylander trade before his no-trade clause kicks in? Uh, and, and what are you hearing as far yeah. as the negotiations between the two? Well, you know what? Um... My understanding here is they everybody everyone's got an open mind and, and everyone's got a, a, an open mind and they they they're looking at what's coming. Uh, probably the San Jose Sharks are saying, you know what, we're in a full rebuild here. We want to do exactly like the Blackhawks. We're not sure we want we we really want William Nylander. So you have to understand that probably the Sharks. If they're getting William and Lander, there's still a good chance that they're going to try to find a, a trading partner mm-hmm. for him. And that's, that's the big issue here for William Nylander. If, if he's going to be traded is, okay, where are you sending me? And is, is there a chance that I'm going to be traded again uh, before the start of next season? And that's an issue. That's a big issue. You cannot take a guy like William Nylander and shopping around like he's a fourth-line player. He's not. He, he's a really good hockey player. Um, I think, uh, uh, and it's understandable that if you're looking at the Toronto Maple Leaf situation right now, if you need to make a move, he's going to be the one involved to get that defenseman that you, offensive defenseman that you really need. We're talking about Eric Carlson. Maybe there's some someone else there. But that being said, 
to get a guy like William Carlson, I think, is really good for whoever is going to trade. But the problem with teams that are on a, a full rebuild, like the Sharks, what are they going to do with him? Yeah. Um, so, so uh, you know, they, I, I don't think it's it will be a smart move for them to keep him. So that's why uh, if you're on the Lander camp, you wonder what's next. Obviously, playing for the Sharks is not maybe great. If you're traded to a better team, why not? But you need to control who's that team. You look at Columbus. Columbus um, didn't make the playoffs this year. Mike Babcock's going to be named tomorrow. Uh, and I believe that this team is going to knock on a, a playoff spot ne- next season if they're, if they're not making the playoffs. But they need to stay healthy. Mm. That, that was their big issue. They're way better than, than they were. Uh, so they, but do you want to play in Columbus, right? Uh, so that's why I think for um, William Nylander, there's a lot of uh, balls up in the air. Remember one thing. If you're traded before July 1st, before your no trade kicks in, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that the team that's going to get you in return before midnight is going to take that clause that you have, that no trade clause, and put it in the garbage. It's exactly what happened to P.K. Subban with uh, the uh, the Predators. When he was traded to Nashville, the team is allowed to say, we're, we're taking your no trade clause and we're putting it in the garbage. It's out of your contract. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. I believe it's fully unfair for player. And I believe that that's probably for William Nylander a big problem. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I can understand that entirely when you negotiate that into your contract and to have it uh, disregarded if after a trade uh, for a 27-year-old guy who's entering his prime right now, 87 points and yeah. 40 goals a season ago. Um, I think we're, we're going to see some more moves from the Calgary Flames pretty clearly as Noah Hannafin, he wants out of town. Yeah. Uh, he's got one more year on his deal. There's a couple other guys making noise about perhaps not re-upping with, with that Flames team. This is a, a Flames team that... Yeah, missed the playoffs last season, and boy, what a disappointment that was. They ended up with one more point, though, than the Panthers, uh, that team with whom they, they they had the, the massive deal that ended up netting uh, Matthew Kachuk in Florida. Um, can, can, can the Flames do what people expect them to do and, and trade away some pretty notable players and stay yeah. competitive for, for 23-24? Well, you have to look at no one think that he's going to be traded on one point to the, point to the Boston Bruins. Um, you know, it was always, I think, his dream to play there. So we'll see what's going to happen next. If it's if there's a deal to be made, can they uh, be a better team? Yes, they. Yes, I think. I think you'll see a little more jump in their game. I think that uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of players there that that needs to prove themselves. It was a disaster year for them, but. I don't want to say rightly so, but that the you know the amount of issues, um, you know, some teams they like the Canadians, they they had injury issues. Uh, you look at the Calgary Flames, I think they had management issues, mm. so especially a coaching issue. Yeah. Now you can't wait to see what's next for them. You can't wait to see how uh, you know Jonathan Huberto is gonna uh, uh, react to what happened with the Flames last year and to to his game. Uh, I believe that there'll be a little more smile, and, and you never know what what can happen. Who thought that the <laughs> the Florida Panthers will be in the Stanley Cup this year, right? Mm-hmm. Who, no, no one. I mean, 
this was a team that made a lot of big changes during the summer. Uh, I don't want to compare it necessarily to Calgary, but I, what I'm saying here is there's always hope, and it depends on your coaching staff. It depends on your leadership group. It depends on the will. Um, and, and and so, yeah, I expect the Calgary Flames to be um, – it's not a better team, at least a team that's going to be uh, more happy to play games, uh, which is uh, a good start. So, so we'll see what, what's next for them. But uh, it's, uh, it's in, it, I, I'm curious to see what they're going to de- do tomorrow because they can easily be really aggressive. You have a GM there that needs to prove a lot of things to people. So that will be interesting to see what he's going to uh, come up uh, with tomorrow. Yeah, it is, and and man, and there's you're right to to point out the leadership and the Daryl Sutter aspect of what went wrong for the Calgary Flames. I I would also point to the the goaltending, which was sixth worst in the National Hockey yeah. League as far as save percentage at eight ninety three. And boy, there's a pretty significant goaltender that is available via trade and a Vesna finalist in Connor Hellebuck. I mean, of of all the available players, maybe outside of Eric Carlson. Um, mm. But, yeah, I, I guess it's still up in the air whether Carlson gets traded. But a guy that is, I think, pretty certain to move. I mean, is, is Connor Hellebuck at the, at, at the top of that pile? I, I wonder because two things, okay? I know what's out there is the fact that uh, Hellebuck could be uh, on the market and traded. But a lot of GMs told me around the league over the last, I'll say, two weeks, that Elbuck wants to stay mm. with the Jets, okay? The thing is, what he doesn't want is to see a rebuild. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to play for a team that is, that's in the middle of a rebuild or is starting a rebuild. That's why the um, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois trade was really important for the rest of the, uh, of the group. So I, I believe that there's a good chance – Well. You know what? One thing that's going to happen, I believe, is the Jets are not a, a trade in before at least trying to find a solution and to see if there's an extension to be made. The Jets are not in a full rebuild mode. They're there to compete. They believe that they're, they're with making some uh, changes that they're, uh, they're doing right now, that they can be uh, even a better team. So uh, I believe that, you know, if you look at the Jets, if you look at Connor Elbaugh, if he's, if he's signing an expansion with them, um, there's a good chance that, you know, the, the, the Jets are going to be uh, a really good team again next season. But so before saying that Connor Elbaugh is going to be traded for sure, I still have my doubt. But, but we need to see a contract extension. We need mm-hmm. to see discussion. We need to see him uh, saying, you know what, I want to stay here. That's the place I want to play. Uh, I know he's got no issues at all with playing in Winnipeg. So what's next for him? We'll see. But obviously the next 24, 48 hours are really important here. Uh, before we let you go, uh, Montreal Canadiens select David Reinbacher uh, in the yeah. first round uh, of the NHL draft uh, as Carey Price's uh, moment will, will live forever uh, in NHL draft lore. But th- this is a team that went out and acquired Alex Newhook. There's a team yeah. that that is, I think, done most of the rebuilding as far as like the hard cutting. Like, what 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 do you think this offseason entails for a team that I I imagine wants to take a step forward next season? 
Well, don't expect much, to be honest with you, uh, especially tomorrow. I think, uh, you know, there's not even a, a can't use press conference schedule uh, because the expectations are so low that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a good chance that if they're making any moves, it's going, going to be really minor here, more for, uh, you know, uh, the AHL team than, than anything else. So can they, can they sign a... Uh, another defenseman like Ethan Bear, that's uh, now UFA. I know he was under the radar over the years. I, I wonder, but this is not a major move, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we'll see what what's next for the the Canadians. Uh, Jonathan Duwine is, uh, is not going to come back. Uh, Dennis uh, Goriana, who uh, uh, didn't uh, receive his qualifying offer today, there's still a good chance. Well, I, I should say a chance, not maybe not a good chance that he's going to sign with the team. Uh, at a lower amount. Um, so we'll see, to be honest with you. Uh, they, they made their moves over the last uh, few weeks with a couple of trades. I expect maybe another one or two trades, but nothing uh, major as of right now. Could easily change. You never know. Mm. Uh, you know, a year ago, no one expected Sean Monaghan to be traded to Montreal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it happened a, a couple of uh, weeks after. So I think Kent Hughes is going to wait and see. Uh, look at what's out there, uh, trying to get a, a good veteran guy. But otherwise, I, if it's not coming at him, I don't see him making a move just to make a move. It's not going to happen. Uh, Ren, safe travels. Hopefully uh, you get home real soon uh, in time for uh, the big day tomorrow. Fingers crossed, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Ben. Have a good uh, weekend. Take care. Yeah, you too. There's Ren Olavois, TVA Sports, in Washington, D.C., where he doesn't intend to be. For much longer. Boy, like I, I'm refreshing my Twitter feed, like more and more and more people struggling to get out of Nashville and get uh, back home, wherever that may be. And for Renault Lavois, it's not Toronto, like Luke Fox, it's Montreal. <laughs> and, and Luke put his foot down and said, I will not travel with a connection. I need to fly direct. Um, and I guess that's worked out for him because at least he's in one place. And knows, I guess, when he's getting out. As for Ren, he's in Washington, D.C. right now. So fingers crossed for him that he can get home. This Eric Carlson thing won't go away until he moves somewhere. Like Eric, Eric Carlson to the Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean. We know Kyle Dubas had interest at the trade deadline. Been reported on multiple different fronts. We know that Brad Living has had preliminary conversations with the San Jose Sharks. We also know there's a way to make it work. And maybe it's not fully 50%, but man, again, like, I don't, why wouldn't you maximize your return if the money's already, it's a sunk cost. We call that. It's a sunk cost. The money's already spent. Eric Carlson didn't work out. Your team stunk. He was hurt and then finally got healthy when you were bad. And he's at the peak of his value in trade if you could cut down on the cap hit which you're allowed to do, and you won't. Why? Because it's, like, shameful or you don't want to be paying some guy $5 million a season for the next four years that's not playing for your team. Tell you what, you'll be paying him double that to play for your team that's no good for the next four years anyways. So so why why wouldn't you just chop that thing in half and get a, a return that would be the biggest of any trade. I mean, you want to talk about Connor Hellebuck in the last year of his deal, Vesna finalist, 
It doesn't matter. That would pale in comparison to a guy who had a historic season, despite all the maybe defensive warts for Eric Carlson. All right, we'll come back. NBA free agency now in an hour and a half, hour and 35 minutes, at least when players and teams can legally talk. We know they've been illegally talking uh, for many days. Although maybe not in Philadelphia. Like the report out of Sixers land is part of the reason James Harden soured on the Sixers and Daryl Morey is because he wouldn't talk free agency until free agency opened because he's been previously slapped with penalties for doing that, including the loss of second-round picks. James Harden said, forget that. I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. I'm going to activate my third trade request in a matter of three years, opting into his uh, one-year deal. And I, I guess the hot rumor is that he's going to be headed to the Clippers of the Heat. We'll, we'll talk to Rick Kamla of Sirius XM NBA Radio next about that. We'll talk about the Houston Rockets, Fred Van Vliet thing, and uh, Jakob Pertl as well. As the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 5.9 The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. So, NBA free agency happening a matter of hours before NHL free agency opens at noon tomorrow. Players can talk to teams at 6 o'clock tonight, which means we're going to get a bunch of stuff. Like, Woj is going to be real busy tonight, as is Shams. You can see a lot of stuff. Like, right at 6 o'clock, amazing how these 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 teams and these players uh, are able to quickly negotiate terms uh, and definitely didn't have prior conversations ahead of uh, 6 o'clock opening of NBA free agency. But what we're going to see coming up is uh, the immediate future of the Toronto Raptors in the balance, which I didn't anticipate being the case. And there's one guy that's kind of changed everything, and it's James Harden. And you know what? Him deciding to, to opt into his contract and request a trade out of Philadelphia is only part of the story. I guess it's more like the Houston Rockets that kind of swung everything. Because according to reports, a couple of weeks ago, they decided or got wise and said, you know what, this whole James Harden returning to Houston thing, maybe not. Maybe that's not what we want to bring to a, a very youthful core. Maybe it's a guy who has a ring on his finger in Fred Van Vliet. And we keep hearing reports about two years and $80 million for the Raptors point guard. Let's talk to Rick Kamla of uh, Sirius XM NBA radio, host of uh, give and go one to four Eastern time. Rick, thanks for doing this. How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me. How you doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, I think Raptors fans kind of nervous here for, for the coming hours. Cause it does feel like, the potential of, of the Rockets making a godfather offer to Fred Van Vliet very much exists. Like, where are you on the likelihood of Fred Van Vliet becoming a Houston Rocket in the next couple hours? 
I mean, pretty good. You do hear, you know, the reports on the Toronto side that you guys want to keep him, but it sounds like you guys want to keep him on your number. And if somebody out there was willing to max out Fred, and if it's two years and 36 and a half, which has been reported, that would be max. It's a pretty easy decision for Van Vliet to leave. So to me, it's a little bit of the same thing with Harden, because if Philly wanted to max out Harden, I think Harden would be, you know, on the Sixers and content. If the Mavs really wanted to max out Kyrie, would he be taking all of these meetings, right? So with Fred, like if the Raptors really wanted to keep him, then they would max him out. And I think you would have, especially if you went longer than two years, right? You would most definitely keep Van Vliet at that point unless you have some intel to tell me that Fred just for some reason wants to go back to the States and doesn't want to be up in Canada anymore, right? Rules, whatever the case may be. But short of that intel, to me, it just comes down to Fred getting the biggest bag. And right now it looks like Houston's got that. Yeah, they do. And they have tons of cap space. They have $60 million in cap space. So they, yeah, there's no, no uh, signing trade required for them. They can just grab him in free agency, um, so you talked about James Harden. I mean, you did mention Kyrie Irving as well. Uh, I mentioned that it seems like the Rockets made a decision, like they, that James Harden was more than willing to sign with the Rockets if they would have him. But it does seem like, Rick, that they've decided they're not going to go down that path. And it does seem like the Dallas Mavericks are not going to hand the bag to Kyrie Irving. Are we seeing teams finally figure it out with, with those two players that they can't be trusted? Yes, I think that's a big part of this, and it should be all of this, but I think also is the new CBA restrictions with, you know, paying guys like Harden and Kyrie top, top, top dollar, and then, pardon me, not having, uh, you know, the bang for the buck. I mean, what are they winning? What are they delivering? Individual statistics, highlights, all-star visits, that's not enough. These owners want to win, man, so... Um, it, it's just become very, very apparent. And look, for me, I mean, I, I go way back. This, it, James Harden's playoff showdown ways started with OKC in the 2012 NBA Finals, and it's been a nonstop parade of that for over a decade since. Like, hello, like, did it really take you a decade to figure out that James Harden is going to break your heart in the playoffs? That whole thing's been mystifying to me. But finally... The light bulb went on in Daryl Morey's head, maybe from listening to Give and Go. Yeah, maybe this Harden guy isn't, you know, uh, isn't as good as I think he is, man. And James Harden is terribly overrated. Uh, you can't win big with him. So, uh, but I think it's also the CBA and, and the restrictions and teams are being very, very cost conscious heading here into free agency. So I think it's, it's both, but I think it's more the lack of trust in these guys. What, what do you think James Harden's legacy is? I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, and deservingly so. The regular season uh, accolades that he's put up, including the the MVP in 2018, like he's been an incredible compiler of statistics. Uh, the playoffs have been miserable. Uh, he's, he's not come through in, in key moments and with teams with high, high aspirations. But he's also a guy that's asked out now, like I said, three teams in, in fewer than three years He's demanded trades out of town, which is, I mean, it's on vogue, but not to the degree. Like, he is in an era in which the player empowerment movement is is yeah, kind of the way we've labeled this era in the NBA. He's like the leader of that, and, and there's nobody even close. He is, and I love the setup here. I'm going to be talking about this at length tomorrow uh, on Mad Dog Sports Radio on the SiriusXM platform, 1 to 4 p.m. 
uh, pardon me, noon to 4 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. You know, you hit on it, man. Um, James Harden, to me, he's the most toxic player in NBA history. And a lot of people say it's Kyrie Irving, and he's certainly in the running. Ben Simmons would be in the running for that as well. Uh, there are others that go back beyond this era, but I think the player empowerment era, which I'm fully behind, I fully support, uh, advocate for it, all that stuff, because the players should get theirs. I love the college players are getting money for the NIL. I freaking love it. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in this situation, it's, it's just the right way to go. Um, and, and for James Harden, when you look at the whole scope of this thing, you realize that he's a coach killer. Um, you realize that you can't win big with him. You realize that he's the whimsical mistress that's going to love on you one night, and the next night she's going to be out with Tom. Okay? Three teams in 29 months. That's insanity. So I believe he's even more toxic than Kyrie. Uh, and, and, and look, it's, uh, he's, he's probably the biggest choke artist in NBA history as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. And by the way, he is one of the greatest offensive players in NBA history. He is uh, historically and statistically unbelievable. First ballot Hall of Famer. Respect on all of those fronts and degrees. But, uh, but there's the other side of James Harden as well. Yeah, and at least Kyrie has hit one of the biggest shots in uh, NBA postseason history, which obviously James Harden has not. And I guess the the Rockets are, are sorry, the the Sixers are 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 free to trade him wherever they want, but that's not how this goes, right? Like we know that that he's going to demand to go someplace, and that's where he's going to end up going. And and if he doesn't go to a place that he likes, just make the fourth trade request uh, over the span of three years. And it does feel like the Clippers are, are the the suitor for him, although like. Cap-wise, and especially with the new CBA, I'm not exactly sure how that that works. What, what does a Clippers team with with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and and James Harden look like in your mind? Well, they look very mythological to me. They look a lot like the Brooklyn Nets did—a theory, a myth, um, a ghost of a team. Um, you know, folklore. You know what I'm saying? Just all yeah. like stuff up in the air, like nothing concrete and substantial on the ground. It was a whole theory, and the theory never came to fruition. Do I think the theory is going to come to fruition? And I do believe James Harden's going to end up on the Clippers somehow, some way. Do I believe that uh, – it may take a minute, but I do believe that will happen. Do I believe that James Harden and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George – I mean, stop it. Like, no, it's a myth. It's a, it's a theory. And it's been – Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have been together for four years. We've had literally an Olympic cycle – of the same thing, get hurt, underperform, blah, blah, blah. It's always something. Now you're adding James Harden to that mix? And I'm supposed to expect that Harden and Kawhi and Paul George are going to bring it to a beautiful boil, and you're going to have to give up a bunch of quality role players probably to get James Harden? And so now your cupboard's kind of bare in terms of depth? Hell no. I, yeah, I would fade them for sure. Uh, Kyrie apparently engaging with the Phoenix Suns in conversation, which is uh, again mind blowing to me. And poor Matt Ishbia, like it, he, I, I know he's making waves, but boy, I, I think he's being sold a bill of goods here. Um, are you surprised that that KD is, is not sick of this guy? Apparently, I mean, these are all reports, and nothing's been put pen to paper. But yeah, there, if if Kyrie ends up in Phoenix, would that surprise you? I mean, nothing surprises me really in the NBA anymore, but I'll tell you this, it would be dumb as hell uh, depending on what you give up. Even if you, like, uh, created a sign-and-trade with, uh, with Dallas for DeAndre Ayton going back to Dallas, which I would really like from the Mavericks' perspective, even if you did that and then bring back Kyrie and even if he agrees to take less money, 
um, you know, off the max. Eric Pincus was on NBA radio yesterday saying, okay, for that to happen uh, and it to be like feasible and comfortable financially, he'd have to get down to about 18 million. Does Kyrie Irving want to take that kind of pay cut? Okay. Maybe I would bet against that, but think about the fit of Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. Okay. Hello. Is that too much offense, anyone? You've got one basketball. You've got four number ones. How is that going to work? It's not going to work. You know what I'm saying? Mm. They they have they, they need to trade Aiden for role players and just do that and stick with Neil Durant and Booker as your as your three pack, right? And build and support around them. The idea of going to get Kyrie Irving to augment that I think is idiotic. Uh, Rick, before I let you go, so part part of the the Raptors thinking in running back a team that finished forty one and forty one, and we heard this straight from Masai Ujiri's mouth was that, I mean, not explicitly, but like it implied that we're entering an era of unparalleled parity across the the NBA, and, and maybe that exists more in the Eastern Conference. Um, do you believe that to be true? Like, I, I, I guess, you, you know, the, the Nuggets won the championship, and maybe you couldn't have anticipated that despite the fact they finished first overall in the Western Conference. Like, are we entering an, an era where there's, like, there's not some some team that everybody's chasing after and that there's there's multiple teams going into a season that can win a championship? Wow. Uh, great setup. I think at this point, the answer is both, but more towards the parity side. I mean, think about it. Bucks, they don't win championships, right? Uh, their first championship in 50 years. The Raptors, they don't win championships. I like some of their players. Nice team. They don't, you guys won in 2019. Mm-hmm. Now Denver, Denver doesn't win championships. It's always something with Denver. You know, there's a, a, a behavioral moment or a letdown or something. It's always something with Denver, right? Guess what? They broke through. So we've got three teams that historically aren't those glitzy golden teams winning recently. So I definitely think that the parity uh, situation is definitely here in the NBA. The fact that we've shrunk the cap down and it's going to make it harder to assemble these super teams is going to lead to even more parity. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to make it difficult for guys to kind of pick and choose where they want to go. Rick, I appreciate the time. Thanks. Okay. Be well. All right. You too, Rick. Uh, Rick Kamla. In a tornado, uh, Sirius XM NBA radio, man, we'll see. Maybe it's just a weird off year and, and maybe a coaching change in Milwaukee changes everything. I mean, they do have a former MVP, a guy that looks dominant at times that won a championship. Celtics have been to a finals. The Sixers have the reigning MVP. Well, that's three teams. Like if I told you that, one of those three teams was going to win the Eastern Conference next year. You wouldn't be surprised. I think that's more than usual. I think the biggest difference here is that we don't have a LeBron James at the peak of his powers anymore, obviously. And that guy just stood above everybody else. You can talk about your Giannis's and your Jokic's and your Embiid's, but like nobody was LeBron where he was. Put him on your team, you were going to the finals, especially if you were in the Eastern Conference. That's, the, that's just the way it worked. And who's the team he was meeting every single season in the NBA Finals? It's the Golden State Warriors, who won the championship two years ago. But obviously, like, this is a diminished version of of a dynastic team. We don't have that anymore. And maybe this is the start of it with, with the Nuggets team that's still young, like, very much in the early stages of its competitive window. And Jamal Murray in his 20s and, and Jokic, same thing. And... They got a good coach and seemingly a good ecosystem. But it's especially in the Eastern Conference, and I mentioned those those three teams, like 
yeah, I mean, I, I guess the Sixers could win. They're about to trade away James Harden for what seems like not a great return when he's demanding that he goes to the Los Angeles Clippers who have no assets to send your way. You do have a Bucs team that, you know, lost to a team that went to the NBA Finals, but you had the best regular season record and you lost to an eight seed in the Miami Heat. And then a Celtics team that has huge questions and just traded away their heart and soul player, Marcus Smart. And then I guess you got to consider the, the Heat because they did make the Finals. Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's not one dominant team in the Eastern Conference. Um, so NBA free agency opens up at 6 o'clock when players and other teams can officially talk. But hey, we're getting little nuggets before 6 o'clock. Uh, Mike Gentile, producer of the program. Well, what do we got happening across the NBA landscape? Well, Michael Grange tweets the following, a positive sign, question mark. Raptors meeting with Fred Van Vliet in L.A. at 3 p.m. Pacific, so 6 p.m. here, for the first, quote, official contact of free agency. Here's the key part. There's some optimism that a fourth year at $30 million will be enough to keep Van Vliet in Toronto. So we heard Houston, 80 over 2. Now it's Toronto, 4 and 120. Oh, also God. mentions Pirtle, who's expected to be in the range of four years and $20 million. So he sees those two players connected with how much they're going to get. Obviously. Okay, so that's... Um, and we talked to Grange uh, yesterday about the, 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 the screws getting tightened on the Toronto Raptors and what they might have to do and, and where they would have to go contractually for those two players. They've put themselves in a position where they almost have to do whatever it takes to get both of them. I mean, the, the, the natural inclination is to think, especially Pirtle, considering they gave up a first-round pick to acquire him for a team that was had the same record, it should be said, as the Portland Trailblazers who decided at that moment to pull the plug and ended up drafting third overall. The Raptors did the opposite. And I guess it was like the idea of them totally tanking from that point is probably out of the equation. It was not a possible scenario for them. But they added when... They certainly didn't have to, and they gave away a first-round pick for a guy that was a pending free agent. So, yeah, naturally, you'd think Jakob Pertle is the guy that they most have to sign. But no, man, I, I think it's the Fred thing. I think it's Fred, Mike. When, when you look at a guy who's a, a, well, a franchise icon but plays a position that is so difficult for this team to replace, I, I, I guess you can say center is, as well, but they, they did... They were around 500 before Jakob Pertl arrived with their mishmash of centers. Like, who's playing point guard for this team if there's no Fred Van Vliet? There is no backup plan for that. And beyond that, like I talked about acquiring Pertl at the deadline and giving up a first-round pick. We heard from multiple different sources at the deadline that OG had a huge price tag attached to him and lots of interest, but also that Fred was generating a ton of interest around the league including the Los Angeles Clippers, who were desperate to, to make a run, obviously, right? Like, there, there were so many teams that needed point guard help. And what Masai Ujiri said at the end of the season was that, okay, we understand that we didn't make those moves and we didn't act on, on the potential returns on guys that can be free agents. But we don't think the return's going to be much different in the summer. And uh, alluding to sign-in trades, alluding to other scenarios, well, they didn't anticipate the Houston Rockets with $60 million of cap space just throwing the bag at Fred Van Vliet. That's a good sign, I guess. If, if, 
if you want to see the Raptors run it back, which was always going to be the most likely scenario, it's not a great sign to have, you know, a 30-year-old Van Vliet under contract for $120 million over four years. This stinks of Fred and the agent using the Rockets. Yeah. Like, think about it. You're, you, you refuse to trade Fred only if you think he's coming back. You give up something for Pirtle if you think you're going to keep him. Mm-hmm. Like, the only way that those two decisions make sense is if you have not a hope but an expectation that they're returning. Otherwise, you lose Fred for zero, and you just threw away a first-round pick for Pirtle. Mm-hmm. You're, you have no depth at the two biggest positions either. So those decisions only make sense if for some reason they felt both guys are coming back. That's it. And, and you know, both guys coming back, but both guys coming back on contracts that were not going to inhibit you going forward. And who knows, like maybe Fred is, you know, ages gracefully. Uh, and up until this past season, Kyle Lowry was aging gracefully, and there were some people that that wondered about the contract he signed, his last contract that he signed with the Toronto Raptors. He ended up performing well enough to to deserve the the pay that he received from the Raptors. Who knows? Fred has been a guy that's like he's undersized. He's playing a ton of minutes, and you know what? Maybe that's part of it that that's going to change. Is no Nick Nurse? He's not going to play forty minutes a game anymore under uh, Darko Royakovic. But yeah, there's. I always wondered what the plan was and how thought out the plan was for this Raptors team and not trading those guys at the deadline, what the anticipation was at the end of the season and what the plan was as far as bringing those guys back. I I can guarantee you they didn't think they'd have to go four years, $120 million for for Fred Van Vliet. And it's an interesting decision for him as well, right? Would you rather take the bird in hand where you got 120 million bucks in a rising salary cap, or would you go make your 80 million bucks in Texas and then become a free agent again in in two years, um, and still be kind of maybe you're hoping in in your prime and not have to pay state tax? So it's it's an interesting. And that's two miserable years, man. Like that would not be fun with Houston. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, at some point, they, like some of their their young players are going to have to take a step forward, and and you know what, that could be part of your legacy too. If you're if you're trying to build a Hall of Fame resume, I mean, not to say that Fred Van Vliet's on a Hall of Fame track. I mean, he's an unbelievable player to be an undrafted free agent coming out of Wichita State and to make as many millions of dollars as he have has uh, wear uh, a an NBA championship ring on his finger um, and be the most sought after free agent this off season. But yeah, if you go to Houston and you return that franchise to relevancy and they choose you over James Harden, who is still a legend in that city, it must be mentioned, right? Like we look at it, look at him as a bit of a joke. And, and obviously the playoff resume is that but he was also playing on a Rockets team that, that gave a dynastic golden state warriors team a run for their money. And if not for some They're horrible assist the one to taking them down, dude, they were right there. If they didn't go on a historic cold spell shooting threes at the end of Game 7, we're talking about that as one of the greatest postseason series victories in NBA history. But the Rockets chose Fred Van Vliet over James Harden, which honestly, I think was the right decision. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to get him either way. Who knows? Uh, again, Michael Grange tweeting out the... the Raptors are seemingly willing to go four years, $120 million for Fred uh, Fred Van Vliet. They're going to sit down at a a dinner table in about an hour's time. God knows they haven't communicated before then. Like they're just sitting awkwardly at other sides of the restaurant for like an hour and five minutes until they uh, converse. All right. 
Blue Jays, Red Sox. Trying to win their first game against the Red Sox this season are the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker have you getting set for the Canada Day weekend series. That's next. I'll be back on Monday. Happy free agency, everybody. This is the Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.